at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today, we actually have two guests for once. Uh, not only is Dan here, but we also have Corey, who handles our women's basketball coverage at the blog. Say hi to everybody, Corey. What's up, everyone? How's it going? You, uh, you might recall Corey from uh, some of the uh, game recaps we did during the football season. He and Julian Wiggum did a great job. Uh, kind of talking about things right afterward, a little more football-focused than the uh, the usual jokes, garbage, Tulane-related nonsense <laughs> that uh, that Dan and I usually jump into. We, we tried. We did our best with it, I think, so um, appreciate that positive review there. Hey, uh, as long as people listened to both, I was fine with it. <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's what it's about. Yeah, and the only time people really seem to drop us when Dan and I implore them to. Actually, no, that's not true. People, when we implore people not to listen, they actually listen more and then complain about it more. That's interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I I like to listen to a little bit of both. You know, get both sides. You get the fun commentary, then you get the, hey, here's what the heck happened, and figure it out. So uh, I like to try to mix that in, and uh, you, guys, you guys took that to the next level, I think, with the... Uh, varied topics if you will so um no julian and i julian and i had a blast doing it um god he's so smart he knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes to that game so um that was just you know more cool for me to work with him and to pick his brain about it but um no i'm really glad to be joining the show for uh for hoop season and uh coming down to the you know final countdown for for the women's team and tournament times coming right around the corner and it's pretty exciting around here um in regards to that women's team with the exception of, don't look at the attendance numbers, please. But uh, trust me, people are excited around here. Yeah, I mean, I know this has been a very long-standing kind of topic for us as a blog and all. Dan, what do you think it's going to take for people to actually show up to these games? Um, I just think we, we needed to sustain a level of success. I think uh, for a while there, uh, there were a lot of, like, you know, first-round exits or, like, you know, there'd be some uh, momentum built and then, you know, a disappointing couple losses. Um, of course, and a couple of years ago, we had the run to the national championship game, which was amazing. Um, I mean, I, I think that was pretty much the peak of like what you can get in a sport that's dominated by one team, um, and that that I think has had some dividends. I think the team—I uh, don't know—I don't have the attendance in front of me, but I know we've we've done a, a better job this year than we had, you know, maybe two or three years ago with attendance. But um, I think I think you really just need to build it into something that people want to see on a week in week out basis. Um, compared, you know, obviously men's basketball just has this three-decade, four-decade stretch of really solid play every year, and you know what to expect, and you have a figurehead like Jim Beheim. Uh The women's, obviously, Coach Chu's been around for a while now, um, but they're just starting to hit a hit a, a, a point where you can count on them to make a tournament every year and be competitive and, uh, you know, play compete with some of the better programs in the country. Um, so I think, I think they're in the right trajectory. The attendance, like... You know, we see this in football. You you can uh, game things however you want. You can like get one game spikes if you do some stuff. But overall, I think you just need to win. Um, and the women have done a really good job. And they, I think they do deserve better. 
But as long as they keep on playing as they do, um, I think we'll, we'll continue to see incremental progress there. Yeah, Corey, I mean, you are kind of new to this phenomenon, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. Dan and I have kind of witnessed it both when we were on campus and like 100 people would show up. Um, to now when we're getting, you know, into like the thousand to, to, and more range, but you're still seeing um, just a, a low turnout. For you, as someone who's been to a bunch of the games this year, has covered a bunch of the games this year in person, what, what do you think is, is lacking from maybe the atmosphere um, that, that, could, that could get more fans in the door? Um, I mean, I think it's familiarity with the players and what's going on. I mean, the, the thing with men's basketball, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, this is kind of, like you said, I, I kind of have an outsider's perspective on this a little bit because I'm still kind of new to Syracuse in general. Um, but from what I observe is you get guys like Tyus Battle and Frank Howard, and now it's going to be O'Shea Brissett, and you get fans that latch onto them imme- almost immediately. It, it's almost a, like an immediate buy-in. Once you hear the hype around these players, you know Brissett, for example, um, Canadian High School Player of the Year, got accolades surrounding him coming in. With the women's team, you know they start four new starters this year. Two of them are freshmen. Uh, both are very good recruits, but you know again, two of them are freshmen and two of them are transfers. Um, there's not much familiarity there. You know, you lose Alexis Pearson, you lose Brittany Sykes, who are both very successful as of now in the WNBA in their short careers. And you lose the day sisters and you had a little bit of that familiarity built that was starting to, to come together and, you know, making the final four a couple of years ago certainly helped. But I think now, and Tiana Mangakahia, the, the star player, I mean, she's phenomenal. Um, she even said, this was a couple of weeks ago at, after practice one day, she even said, you know, we go on the road and we see their fans and, you know, they get whatever, four or 5,000 people, they be in, you know, pick a conference road opponent. And then Syracuse is out here drawing 1,200, maybe 1,000. And, you know, they take notice of that. Um, but you got, like I said, Manga Kahia, who is leading the nation in assists. You have two freshmen in Digna Stratmana and Maya Finkley who are going to be very good basketball players. Stratmana has really come along lately. You have Isis Young coming off the bench. You have, you're starting to build that brand back up. And the constant in all of this has been Coach Q. Um, nine wins, or nine seasons, rather, of 20 or more wins consecutive. And it's just been what he's done hasn't gone into notice yet, at least in the general public. And um, the Louisville head coach, Jeff Walls, a couple of weeks ago even said, you know, for Mangakahia alone, there should be four or five thousand people sitting in the crowd watching her play. Um, she's a wizard with the basketball. She averages a double double. She's leading the nation in assists. Um, it, it, you know, they're going to build this program up, and they're all young. They're only graduating two players: a senior, Jasmine Nawaji, she comes off the bench, and Marissa Romeo, who doesn't get much playing time. She's a grad student, so. This roster is going to be here at least for a couple years. So next season, you're going to, of course, look for that to improve. And like I said, the constant here is Coach Q. He's just been outstanding. He's, he's without a question, one of the best women's basketball coaches in the country. Yeah, I think that should be enough, hopefully. But I, I, I think, you know, what both you guys can hint at that, right? Uh, it's going to take familiarity. It's going to take, you know, more... Like, now that we're seeing consistent 20-win seasons, like, how do you get to consistent Sweet 16 berths? How do you get to consistent uh, looks at the Elite Eight or the Final Four? Like, 
getting to a point where Syracuse is annually, you know, one of the two to three best teams in the ACC, like stuff like that, you know, and, and, and I think that that's a, it's a very, I think that's an overly high standard, but I think that that's what it will take with, with, with the fan base at least. Um, but talking a little bit about just this season in particular, um, Corey, what, what's impressed you most? Um, you know, obviously Magakahia like has, you know, her really, you know, high stat line across the board. You know, she's definitely somebody who's in the conversation as one of the best players in the country. Like for you, like, like w- w- what has been the, the high moment and, and what do you think is, is really carrying this team momentum wise right now when they're on a nice little winning streak here? Well, I think the two upsets they pulled off this season, uh, Duke last week and Florida State um a couple months ago you know that's 17 and 11 that came to your house and you held home court against them you couple that with they started off 11 and 0 uh good non-conference record of course they lost to mississippi state who's a national powerhouse you know they played three top five teams this year and really the only one that really got away from them was the notre dame game um they lost by 15 there so they play Louisville competitively, so you have to think that gives them a little bit of a, a confidence boost. They lost by seven, but Louisville, I mean, they have players that could shoot the lights out, and they, they rotate in players constantly. Uh, that'll just hammer you down. But you go on the road to Wake Forest, and you come back to win. The, the last four games have really been telling, and this late into the season, uh, it, it's pretty special because you do have tournament time starting up next week. Um Last Sunday, Wake Forest, they come back from, I believe it was a 21-point deficit in the third quarter to win that game uh, by 10 points. I mean, that's phenomenal. You beat Duke by three on your home court. You go on a on a weaker road trip against Pittsburgh, and you win that one pretty handily. And now you shoot the lights out versus UNC. I mean, you see this confidence slowly starting to build. And, um, you know, this team is pretty well... Uh, oiled in terms of chemistry as, uh, as chemistry is concerned. Um, I mean, my column on Tuesday that came out, Mangakahia and Drummond, I mean, that relationship they have, you know, that's based on observation. That, that's why I wrote that, because those two joke around in practice all the time. Those two are always hanging out after practice, and I noticed that. So those two, when your starting point guard and your best shooter, your best three-point shooter, has a nice friendship going, that, that's really good for your team. And, um, you know, it works. So... Q's found a way with, you know, think of all the all the things considered here. Four new starters, two of them being transfers, two of them being freshmen. You lose two players to the WNBA. You bring essentially two players off the bench, and Isis Young and Jasmine Nawaji, and you still find a way to win after tonight 21 games. I mean, that's pretty darn good. And they've had their ups they've had their ups and downs. They had a, a really down stretch. I think that Florida State game gave them a little bit of a hangover because they did lose at NC State and at Miami, two tough road games. But guess what? They came back to win three straight versus Pitt Clemson and Boston College. So you know, they've figured out the ebbs and flows to the season and I think right now they're peaking at the right time. And like I said, with the tournament starting next week you're going to play projected today. You're going to play Virginia Tech, who you lost to earlier in the season. You know, maybe they want a little bit of revenge there. It's kind of interesting how this bracket's shaking up. Um, if it holds the way it, it did entering today, you'd have Virginia Tech, and provided you win that game, you would face Louisville again, who, again, they were very competitive against um, earlier this season. So um, I, I think this is the right time for them to peak, and, and they're confident. 
they preach that in practice too. So right now it's trending upward for them. I mean, I think to me that's a, that, that's a great sign for them. I feel like in recent seasons, um, now that they've sputtered into the, the home stretch, but I feel like you know the season's kind of been highlighted by a couple of big wins, and then they're, they're kind of crossing their fingers for uh, an advantageous seed, not necessarily a berth, but an advantageous seed going into the tournament. Um, I know last year uh, people were pretty pissed off, self-included, about where they were seeded. Uh, I think they were an eight seed last year when a lot of people felt like they had definitely accomplished far more than that. Bracketologists seemed to have them kind of in like the six seed range. Um, but, uh, you know, these things happen. That's how you end up facing UConn in the second round, unfortunately. Um, I know SU almost can... happens every year, too. That's a thing. <laughs> they run into UConn one way or another. It's becoming that way, and I kind of hope that it doesn't this year, though. Um, Corey, do you think that there's any chance, I know there is a slight one here, uh, that they end up being able to jump into the five spot? Um, do you think that would be a better path for them um, through the ACC tournament or maybe a more perilous one? That would be interesting. Um, I don't know because I feel like they're comfortable where they're at right now, which they're an eight seed. It's kind of hard to find that kind of confidence um, when you're seated eighth in your conference. But, you know, do you want to play that tougher competition later or earlier? I mean, you're going to get it one way or another in this conference. Um, I mean, just looking at the standings, one way or another, you're going to run into Louisville, you're going to run into Notre Dame. And right now I think their biggest fear would be Notre Dame in that conference. So if they can avoid playing that two seed, which is Notre Dame, if they can avoid playing that early in the tournament and they can rack up one or two tournament wins in the ACC, that'll all but solidify their position in the NCAA tournament. I mean, I'm very confident that this team, I feel like they're going to take care of Boston College on Sunday. They're 2-13 they're and 13 in the conference is Boston College, so I'm not really worried about them right now. It, it, again, I think the big concerns in this conference is once you get to those top four, um, who who Syracuse has lost to uh, this season. They're 0 4 versus the top four in the conference. And Louisville, Notre Dame, or excuse me, 1 and 3. Louisville, Notre Dame, Florida State, and NC State. They beat Florida State. So I, I think if they sneak into that top five, it'll be very interesting because I would almost rather play that stronger competition, if you will, earlier to build that confidence. If they could pull that, if they get that eight seed, for example. And they beat Virginia Tech and go on to play Louisville, and they either keep it closer, you know, God willing, they win that game. Th- that's going to send them skyrocketing, and that's going to send them so far into the tournament, and that's going to give them such a great seeding. That might bump them up to a five seed nationally um, as, co- as compared to a seven right now. So I think they could get there uh, based on confidence in the way they're trending right now. But, you know, that's going to be interesting storylines to see if, if they pull that, um, eight, they're an eight seed now. Miami would have to lose, uh, and, and right now Miami owns a tiebreaker, so it'd be a little bit tough to break into that um, seeding in the conference. But getting that seed nationally, that'd be a different story. I think that would be really fun. Well, I uh, I definitely hope they can. I definitely hope they get whatever path is, is best. I know that Corey kind of presented a couple different uh, you know situations for them, and I think that um, obviously you know you're in the ACC tournament no matter what. Um, I, I think that the more opportunities to, to continue to pad that win total and pad the resume um, are both great for, for this team. Um, I guess last question for you here, just on the women's team. Um, how do you kind of see them performing in the NCAA tournament? Obviously, we know that they're, they're pretty much in at this point. It'd be very surprising if they weren't. 
Um, they have that quality resume. Where, where do you think this team's ceiling is given, you know, all the turnover and how much youth is on this roster? I mean, that's tough because there's two schools of thought when it comes to experience. And I feel like there's a lot of opinions out about this, but you either have this inexperienced bunch who's fired up and curious at the same time and unsure of how to how to manage this. Um, and that's what Syracuse kind of is. They, they've flown by the seat of their pants pretty much all season, and, and they figured this thing out, it seems like, um, as we head now into the last game of the season. If they were to make the tournament and face that tougher, unfamiliar competition, you know, that's going to boil down to Coach Q and his staff and how his expertise and how his experience, you know, being in a national championship game and so many tournament appearances and consecutive 20-win seasons, you know, that's a lot of experience that Q brings to the table. So having him as the, per se, commander-in-chief of this team, you know, that's got to build the confidence alone in these players because they know he's been there and done that. So if you have Tiana Mangakahia, who, albeit as, as great as she is, she has had some struggles this season. She's had over 10 turnovers in four games this season, including tonight against North Carolina, and Syracuse is 1-3 in, in those four games. You know, she's a great point guard, but she turns the ball over a lot. You can't do that in tournament time. Um, you know, it's a matter of hitting your shots. There's been some games where Syracuse has gone cold in shooting, and then unlike tonight against North Carolina, where it seems like they hit every three-pointer they attempted, that that's when it clicks for them. They're, they're a very uh, shooting-centric team. If they're hitting their shots, then their confidence builds. If they're missing their shots, then it kind of dwindles, and you start to rely on Amaya, Finkla, Amaya Finkley and Digna Stratmana. So I think it just kind of depends on how they, how they prepare. I, I think, depending on who they play as well, I think the projections said they played Minnesota first round, which I haven't read too much on, on about them, but... You know, Syracuse spaces the floor very well. Mangakaia has eyes in the back of her head and the sides of her head. I think that once they get into the tournament, it's going to be dependent on how Q prepares them. And, you know, should they perform like they did, you know, maybe tonight if they have a hot night of shooting or maybe like against Miami uh, where they went cold earlier in the season in shooting. You know, it all kind of is dependent on that preparation. Fair enough, yeah. I, uh... I do have some faith, but I always do worry about the, the, the team that kind of, you know, relies on hot shooting and especially hot shooting from the outside. And you know, we saw that kind of with the men's team last year, the women's team last year, too, is that if you're going to be uh, relying heavily on outside shooting, um, you're going to have to have something on the defensive end. Um, the Syracuse team does seem to have something on the defensive end. Obviously, there's room for improvement. Um, last year's men's team did not really have much on the defensive end, and that came back to kind of bite them. So, uh and, I mean, the way I'm looking at this is, again, four new starters, whole new rotation, figure it out, and you still pull off 21 wins in the regular season, assuming 22 should they win on Sunday. I mean, you can't take anything away from what this team has done this season, considering it's a brand-new startup, essentially. Um, so, certainly, I would I would call it a successful season. And in a year where you're going to get uh, two more pretty good recruits coming in, one of them a five-star, one of them a McDonald's All-American next season. So this is this program in general is just looking up. And regardless of, you know, do they, how far they go in the ACC tournament and then eventually the NCAA tournament, 
Um, there's nothing but positive to draw from what this team has done this season. Absolutely. I like it. Well, uh, Corey, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate the update. Glad you were able to speak about this team in a much more educated fashion than we were. And <laughs> we, uh, we did want to make sure that this, uh, the squad gets its due, especially before the NCAA tournament. 100%. They deserve it. I, I try to preach on top, of the, on top of the mount here on campus. You know, this women's team is worth going to see 100%. And um, I hope people pick up on it. I hope I hope the three one five picks up on that. You know, on Sunday if they show up for Senior Day, great. Uh, should they show the support on the road in the tournaments, great. Next season is going to be even better. So um, I'm happy to be here. Absolutely, it's phenomenal. I'm, I'm covering a great program. I'm very lucky. And um, thank you, John. Really appreciate you having me on this week. Hopefully, we can do this again soon. Of course, Corey. Thanks, man. Yep, you got it. Thanks. All right, and now you have me and Dan once again. We uh, back to jokes and garbage. Yeah, that was way too much like actual information for <laughs> twenty plus minutes. Uh, I was I was almost uncomfortable by how prepared and informed Corey was. Do you see? That's the thing. Dan and I are informed. It's the preparation part that we usually fail at. Pretty much, yeah. We both know what we're talking about. It's just yeah. what we are talking about might vary uh, from second to second. And he was very on 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 track and like was professional. <laughs> Um, didn't bring up Tulane once. Not uh, once. Just not. I mean, he'll get better. He'll he'll start to bring up stuff that has nothing to do with what he's talking about, and you know, he'll he'll learn. Yeah, he'll <laughs> suddenly he'll suddenly get Southern Miss to bring back some logo they haven't used in thirty years. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to say that he, you guys were talking about the uh, the post game show he was doing with Julian for a couple weeks uh, there, and that was uh, that was really excellent. Um, and uh, hopefully we can we can get more of that next year. Um, I'm not sure what Julian Julian might be you know, running ESPN by that point. But um, that was like, you know, some, some really awesome informative stuff during football season. And obviously that was a, a great first half we had on the basketball team, uh, the women's basketball team, which uh, might be our best, uh, our best hopes the Syracuse fans this March. So hopefully everyone gets a, gets on board because it's a, it's a fun group. Agreed. Agreed. Please pay attention, everybody. Um, all right. Why don't we talk a little bit about beer before we jump into the, uh, the whole conversation with Syracuse basketball, what happened on Wednesday night, and what could potentially, hopefully, happen on Saturday night. Yeah, um, I think that's an appropriate topic. <laughs> after <laughs> after yet another super frustrating uh, Syracuse men's game. Yeah, I uh, I didn't really enjoy because I I was like watching in and out on streaming, and then I watched like the end. I like hopped out quick just to like catch it on TV. Um, I was. I was not overly thrilled, but I was happy to see the really strong effort um, at the end of that game and and the way that they were able to come back, the way that the press... It didn't work to perfection, but I felt like the press, even this year, when it doesn't work to perfection, it does work and it helps change the tide. It helps motivate this offense. I think that we talked about this before, how well they play in transition. Um, But I think that we'll save that for the second half while we uh, we dive into a little bit of beer first. So, Dan, why don't you... uh, why don't you start us off? I actually drank stuff this week, so it won't just be a one-sided podcast. Oh, well, we're, we're going to have a, a long beer segment then. So um, I went upstate uh, this weekend, uh, not to Syracuse. I was actually in the uh, capital region uh, for a couple days visiting a friend uh, who actually works at a brewery up there, which I mentioned before. Um, he is the taproom manager at Wolf Hollow uh, in uh, the Nectady area. So we went to their place uh, on Saturday, and really cool space, just a 
uh, kind of off, uh, not not super in like the city area, so it's a very uh, local oriented spot. Um, but a nice tap room, uh, good food. Uh, the beers are, are really, really solid. Um, I had a bunch of stuff uh, courtesy of him uh, that night. Um, I tried probably two-thirds of the menu. Uh, and I'd say my highlights, um, my favorite beer I had was the Primitive Path Pale Ale, which uh, apparently they rotate uh, through different variations on it. This, this uh, most recent batch um, was brewed with uh, Simcoe hops, uh, and it was really, really delicious. Uh, just a nice, fully flavored uh, pale ale with, uh, you know, that what you expect from a, a really nice uh, APA. Um, they also had a Brunette Revenge, which is a, a interesting one. It's a hopped blonde, uh, which I appreciated. I'm not a huge blonde drinker, but there's some hops in there, and it it's not quite an IPA, but you get you know some of those nice flavors um, that you know IPA drinkers like myself like. That's of the uh, Triple Jump, which is a Belgian IPA, which is quite good, and then their District 12, which is their double IPA. Uh, so those were all really, really solid. So if you're in the, the Albany, Snatcher, Detroit area, uh, go check them out. Um, we are not being paid for this, uh, I promise. Um, <laughs> their beer is actually good. Um, and say hi to Eddie if you're there. Um, and then I had a bunch of other stuff, too, uh, because we were you know in Albany. So what are you going to do uh, in that area in February besides you know try a bunch of beers all over the place? Um, although a lot of them were from elsewhere. Um, I had two things from KCBC here in New York. Uh, my favorite was the Hatch Job, which is a big citrusy uh, juice bomb IPA, um, really hazy and, and delicious. Uh, I also have the Bodega Cat, which is a wonderfully named stout um, for any New York City brewing. Um, I was able to grab some Middle Ages, uh, Jester's Nectar, which is a delicious, really, really high-flavored wit. Uh, I'm sure everyone here... Listening has at least, you know, some experience with Middle Ages, considering you probably spent some time in Syracuse in your life. Um, I stumbled on a couple of things, big, rare things from Vermont, a sip of sunshine from Lawson's, um, Lawson's Liquids. Oh, uh, which Really, really good. I actually didn't realize that they actually brewed that out of Two Roads in Connecticut, which I know Two Roads does a lot of contract brewing, but I didn't realize that is one of them. Um, no. So that was an interesting surprise. Um I had uh, Grimm's Rainbow Dome, which I hadn't had before, another uh, New York City brewery, which is actually opening up their taproom soon, which they, they make uh, really, really good sours. This is one of them, um, which has, like, apricots and uh, also some, some a nice hot profile as well, so it's a, a pretty interesting combo. Um, I had uh, another one that I, I – a brewery I was unfamiliar with from Asheville uh, Burial Beer. I'm not sure if you know them. I know of them. I don't think I've had anything from them, though. Yeah, this is the first thing I had from them. It's called the Massacre of the Innocents IPA, um, which was probably one of the best IPAs I had the whole weekend. It was a nice surprise. I, I was just at a really cool beer shop in Troy, and we were trying some stuff, and I just wanted to go for something I hadn't had, and I know Asheville's beer scene's excellent, so um, I took a gamble on that one, and it was one of the best beers I had this weekend. And let's see, is there anything else I can't miss? Oh, and Two Roads themselves. I had their uh, Tanker Truck Sour Series, uh, their Clementine Doza which uh, apparently they've been doing a bunch of doses out of, uh, and sours out of a uh, repurposed trailer um, in small batches. And that nice. is uh, one of the most recent ones. And then I had a bunch of other stuff. You can uh, go find them on Untapped. It was a very, very busy weekend. Some industrial arts, uh, some Southern Tier, um, but I'd spend you know half the podcast listing them. So you can go head over to Untapped and see all that. Impressive. Dan, two straight weeks. Just blow me out of the water. Yeah, I don't know if I could do it for three. I should probably like not. <laughs> it might not be the best thing. 
Um, but definitely a strong effort the last two weeks. You know, you could probably pull it off. I'm going up to the mountains this weekend, so I just kind of bring my own stuff. So that's really whatever's around here, and then whatever my in-laws bring. So no, I'll accept it then. I guess fair enough. Uh, Someone has to do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, since I finally recovered from the Super Bowl, uh, I decided to drink this past weekend. Um, I had The Apprentice from Society Brewing down in San Diego. Had a really good collaboration from Monkish and Other Half. Uh, it was called Spectacles. It was a guava saison. That was super good. Nice, light, just the right amount of sour. Really enjoyable. Um, I stopped over at Phantom Carriage um, over in Carson for the first time in a while. Um, and had their uh, Perchance to Dream kind of a new england style pale ale um but not like overly juicy it was like the right balance for me um had i've been wanting to have this one for since they released it just the uh, scorpion bowl ipa from stone for those who haven't tried it out definitely say you should um it's a pretty good one from them it's also like super affordable it was like at least at total wine it was like 4.99 for your uh, bomber which like nice. yeah for me that's great um Lucked into finding a four-pack of Citraholic from uh, Beechwood, one of my favorite beers from out here, so I'll definitely be finishing those off this weekend. And then also had um, the, the, the rare treat, um, once-a-year release of Pliny the Younger uh, from Russian River. Was, uh, was on tap at a um, place right by the office that I work at a couple days a week. Um, I had some untapped alerts ready to go on whenever it was tapped. Uh, made it with about 10 minutes to go on the keg so i was uh i'd say it was a successful evening very nice yeah i i've had it before i had it back in 2015 and i missed the last two years so still good still remember why i i don't hate east coast ipas i just prefer west coast ones i just really love hot bombs yeah i i kind of just appreciate the entire range like i'm not going to i'm not like married to either style I'll, i'll appreciate them all because i think there is a i know ipas are like kind of not falling out of favor, but I think they, there was a, a bit of an oversaturation, and now a bunch of breweries are going to towards different stuff. But I do appreciate that that's kind of left us with a nice array of uh, different types of IPAs. Yeah, I agree. I think it forces people to, to try some new things and really stand out. So, um, no no qualms here. I'll, uh, I'll I'll usually drink whatever you put in front of me. I might have some some snide comments about it, but I I, I will drink the beer usually. That's generally my uh, my approach. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, all right. Now to some things that might have made people drink. Uh, didn't make me want to drink necessarily, if only because, I, like I said, I felt it was a pretty valiant effort. Um, Syracuse lost 78-74 to uh, UNC, ranked number 10 coming into the game. Dan, there was a lot to like. There was a lot not to like, potentially. What, was your, what, what were your kind of like one to two big positives out of this one? Um, I, I think we, we show that we're still competitive with teams that just have what I would say a much better constructed roster. Um, obviously, we all know that Syracuse is a pretty a pretty flawed uh, pro, not program a pretty flawed team at this point for the season. Right. We have three guys that can store on any kind of consistent basis. We have a very short rotation. Uh, we're playing with multiple players who are are pretty banged up. Um, I'm not sure what Moyer's status is, but you know he 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 and Sidibe can only really play. Pretty limited minutes. Moyer had 15 last night. Sidibe had six. So it's really like a a five and you know whatever you can get out of the other two guys, um, which makes it like I know I know Beheim got all over Chuku uh, last night after um, a pretty rough uh, end of day performance by him. 
but it's hard for me to really get on him too much because like he's just been thrust into such a huge role right. that even when we were entering the season, I think we all thought, you know, if we could get like 20 good minutes and five fouls and a couple altered and blocked shots, we'd be pretty happy. And I think overall we've gotten more than we expected at Shuku. The problem is he's like the fourth or fifth best player on the team. And we probably expected him to be the sixth or seventh. And it's just everyone, a, a lot of people aside from battle and, and even, even him, because there's such an onus on him uh, getting shots up and, and creating his own um, that everyone's kind of being th- uh, thrust into like a level above where they should be based on the, the lack of depth in this team. So all that being said, the fact that we have three guys who can score um, on a consistent basis and we were within four points of uh, a much deeper, more experienced uh, team that you know ran 10 guys out there, um, I think that's a positive takeaway. The problem is um, it's kind of hard to take away uh, moral victories when you're just battling for your tournament life. And at 18-10 and 7-8 and in conference, that's where we're at. So um, it was very frustrating that we couldn't close, especially after we tied the game late. Um, and there was that oh, just horrible sequence of of uh, the Brissette air ball and the fumble from uh, Chukwu and obviously the Howard ill-advised uh, three towards the end of the game which sounds like it was off of a, because of a broken play, because Chukwu set the wrong screen, I believe is what Beheim said. Yeah. So just just a lack of execution down the stretch there, and, and we've seen that as a problem in a number of these games that Syracuse has failed to close out. Um, so it needs to be frustrating because you, you know, I think this team very well may be playing over its head, but uh, when you're this close to just notching uh, so many other big wins that would have us in, in much better position, it, it is very tough to... Uh, to see because it seems like we're, we're, we have one of these losses like every you know week to ten days. Yeah, I, I mean that's really like you can focus on the big losses. I mean not big losses, but you can focus on the losses to great teams, or you can focus on the losses to like you know peer programs or programs that are just slightly less, slightly lesser than us, or slightly wor- uh, better than us. Like you look at the Florida State game, the Notre Dame game, the Saint Bonaventure game as like one, two, three. You win two of those, then this loss doesn't really matter. Um, as much because you know now okay so worst case you're 20 and 8 great like that's that you're 20 and 8 you have at least one if not two more wins in ACC play everything's fine you're probably looking somewhere around like a 6-7 seed in conference like again you're 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 on much safer ground Um, the losses get magnified Um, you know when when you drop those winnable games you can't close teams out Um, and again if expanding that earlier list even further you know the first Wake Forest game the NC State game um, you're never going to win all of those but it's uh, it's frustrating when you lose all of them um, as was the case this year um, a loss to UNC again now counts at least in our minds almost double it makes it harder to make the tournament it makes it harder to really pick up those quality wins that now we need to get into uh, you know the, the, the large pool I think it's impressive uh, for both these players and Jim Beheim to an extent um, that we're even able to be in this position, really only like five healthy guys. Um, that in and of itself is, uh, is pretty wild when you think about it. And again, you look at like, you know, just how one-sided this, this offense is toward, well, I guess three-sided. Um, this offense is toward Brissett, Howard, and Battle. Um, if anybody else shows up, it's really a nice perk. Dull's eyes we mentioned last week, be great for him to to be able to do uh, something with the ball. He did it against Miami. He did it here too. Uh, you know, he went two for two. Um, he had five rebounds. Anytime that 
you know, he's a threat in any way, even if minimally. Um, it's just great to kind of get, you know, somebody else for the defense to focus on. You can't necessarily key in two guys on Brissett, Howard, and Battle all at once. Um, again, nice to nice to free one of them up at the very least. Um, Syracuse did seem to shoot very well um, when they were, were driving. Um, not as much from outside. Battle's over five. Uh, Brissett was three of eight. That's fine. Uh, from outside, and then, uh, you know, Frank went 5 of 10. Uh, when Frank's feeling it from outside, I'm fine with him putting him up, to be honest. And I feel that way about all these guys, really. And, and you know, they, they all can be a little streaky uh, from outside, and they all do tend to settle for jumpers a little bit more. I mean, Battle had 23 shots, uh, which is pretty insane uh, for anybody, not just him. Um, but in general, like, w- would like to probably see everybody penetrate the lane more. It did seem like the offense, as always, was uh, was running a little bit smoother uh, when everybody was, was willing to bring the ball into the paint. Yeah, I mean, I think this team always uh, is at its best when it can attack. And I know, uh, depending on, you know, what the refs are calling and what the foul situation is and, and how good the other team is um, around the rim, it's not always, like, the most... You know, it's easier said than done. Right. But overall, I mean, I think with the, with the way the present and, and battled it to the line and... and uh, Obviously, they're not great finishers at the rim, but, you know, when you get to the line as much as Brissette does especially, even though, like, we see so many just wildly thrown-up shots, I'm always uh, a bigger fan of this team especially, just taking it right to the hole. Um, also, like you said, they're not a great shooting team. I think the, the three-point shooting has gotten better over the course of the year, but it, it's this is very rarely a team that's going to do much better than, like, mid-30% from there. And that's basically what we got last night, 8 for 22, uh, or no, that was uh, UNC. Yeah, so we were at 35% last night. We were 8 for 23 as a team. Um, and Howard, you know, has, has really developed their battle, obviously. It was over 5 last night, which isn't great. Um, but overall, like, I think this, the, those three need to attack. Um, unfortunately, it can't just be them. And and we saw that last night where, where they took all 17 of the free throws that the team had. It was nice that they, uh, they made 16 of them, but... The fact that, you know, Dolajai, Chukru, Moyer, and Sidibe couldn't get to the line once as, a, as an entire group is just not not ideal. Well, especially Chukru. I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit. Like, yes, like you pointed out, he's probably the sixth or seventh best te- player on the team, and we need him to play like the fourth or fifth. However, I do think that if you're seven foot three, your role is get the ball in the paint, dunk the ball. That's, that, that, that is the only thing you need to do on offense and then on defense obviously get rebounds um i i don't understand like why like i'm more frustrated that he can't get to the line at this point than that he than if he was getting to the line and missing yeah because i mean they're they're at the end of the game i obviously don't want uh chukru at the line no. you know hitting 50 percent of his free throws but during the course of the game I'd rather, you know, like you said, I, i'd be fine with him even if he was only hitting half his free throws and it, it, i think for the year he's actually I think he has uh what, what's he have for the season uh, from the line? He's sixty one percent. So yeah, that's pretty like that's okay. I we've seen way worse. Oh yeah, from our bid men than sixty one percent. But even if you said you know he was legitimately only, only going to make fifty, at least like give yourself a chance to to get some guys into foul trouble and and have to be defended because right now like you see him uh, on the pick and roll and he'll roll and the defense will pay just the the least amount of attention possible to a seven foot three guy right um and for good reason because our 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 guards don't trust him he doesn't finish well he's missed multiple dunks like and i'm not trying to like lay it on him but 
it, the the games that he has shown uh, more of an offensive game, and it doesn't need to be like where he's scoring 15 points a game, but there have been moments where you've seen him, you know, have a little bit of, you know, take a die off a dribble. You've seen him with some some somewhat crafty moves around the rim. Just if he could get us like six points a game, it'd be such an improvement. And there are just nights like last night where he is completely shut down. Um, and it's it's just tough to to have, and it's not just him, obviously, but it's tough to have more than half your rotation as complete non-factors um, on a night-in, night-out basis. And right now, um, I mean, I'm looking, how how many points are we getting from from those four guys in total? Um, like, I mean, last night it was almost 90%. Yeah, so, so between, and, and this is including games where they've played a lot more and, you know, we were playing non-ACC opponents, but of the, the 69 points per game that Syracuse stores, nice, um, we're getting 17.4 total from Chukwu, Doljai, Moyer, and Sidibe, and I would reckon that in ACC play, that number's like a good amount lower. So, um, yeah, it's just not a well-balanced team. Uh, it's not a not a you know surprise. We we've known what this team is for a while, but um, it makes it very hard to to pull out games like last night's where you're playing right with a top 20 team um, and a team with you know a lot of. Uh, pretty experienced players um, with May and Pinson and Barry and, and even Johnson who, who played at Pitt before. It's just tough to beat that kind of team when you're going three on five on offense. A hundred percent. And you know, like another thing you kind of touched on there that, uh, that Bobby did a great article about last week. I don't know if you caught it. Just talking about how um, Syracuse didn't really play the foul game right against NC State. And that's something that wasn't just unique to that game, but kind of came to a head in that game. Um, just, if we can't get our big men in the line, if we can't get anybody in foul trouble, um, you know, if we're not willing to put any, like, obviously we don't really have the luxury of trying to put people on the line, but um, I, I did, and, and obviously, too, you can't just say, oh, well, I'm just going to run into the lane and draw a foul. No, but at the same time, you can put yourself in, in position to draw fouls. Um, in worst case, you, you know, you don't flop. You put yourself in position to make quality shots with contact, and then if you hit them, great. If you hit them and draw the foul, even better. Um, I, I just think that this team is not necessarily capable of, of playing that sort of game, and it makes it very hard when you have your own short bench. If you're not going to try to shorten the bench of the other team, um, it. I mean, the, beating Miami without doing that, and we only, I think, going into the final like you know seven minutes or so, we only had about three free throws. Um, it's tough against a deep team to really kind of test things really kind of test things and, and really kind of expect to be able to hang with them if they can just, you know, leave their starting five out there for as long as necessary because they know that you're probably going to get gassed. Yeah, and I think it's actually impressive that we haven't seen this team, like, totally burn out. I don't think that was the problem down the stretch. Last night. I think they just stopped executing. But for the number of minutes that Battle and, and Howard and Brissette especially have played this year, like, it, it's almost shocking that we haven't seen them just totally fall apart and, like, lose these games by by 10 to 12 down the stretch. Like, we're, we're, we're in most of these games, even, you know, against very strong ACC opponents. There have been very few, like, the Virginia game got away from them, obviously, but overall, like, this team is not getting run off the floor at all. I mean, yeah. there's there's only been two double-digit losses, I think. Three, but Florida State was, like, double overtime, so yeah, it's count. hard to even... Yeah, you can't really count that. It's just Virginia won by 15, and it was way worse than that. And uh, Kansas earlier in the year, and Kansas just a lot more talented, so... 
Um, every other game has been close, and I know that doesn't count for that much, but this team isn't that far away, and it, it is scraping by. And I was actually uh, on Twitter earlier. I saw um, Chris Carlson and Nish Roth talking about like the, the coaches of the year in the ACC, and obviously I don't think Beheim deserves it for an 18-10 and 10 team, but the fact that Beheim's gotten this team as close to NCAA contention as it is based on what we have, I think is it does say a lot about uh, his coaching ability. He's really... Um, lesser coaches, this team would be would have like eight or nine wins. Oh yeah, and I mean, you know what? Like him being a dick to media is always what stops that from happening in general. Like last year's team too. Like yeah, last year's team had talent on it with two future, at least two future NBA players, um, in Andrew White and Tyler Lydon. But at the same time, like you had a team loaded with players who um, couldn't play defense and specifically couldn't play two three zone, which is you know the only way you really succeed at Syracuse they suffered a lot of bad losses early on and were still able to you know be the first team out and would have been in if not for Rhode Island winning the A-10 so like to me like you know he's never going to get that 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 credit and whatever but he's uh he does some better things as a coach than people than people will really see or recognize just because I think everyone's kind of used to um, you know, SU being consistently good. So when they're not, it's easy to point and laugh. And when they are, it's easy, easy to say, well, you always are. So, you know, why do you deserve special credit now? Yeah, I think that's fair. And and obviously you don't want to give like a Hall of Famer like that much credit for his worst teams. But the worst Bayheim teams, as we, you know, as well documented, are pretty decent. Um, whereas, you know, there are all the jokes about Coach K, like, coming down with mysterious illnesses when his teams aren't good and, you know, other other coaches have had these, like, crazy down years and other programs have had these crazy down periods. I mean, look at Pitt, um, <laughs> who was a very consistent Big East performer, if not an NCAA one, and now they would be they would beg to, to have a first-round NCAA loss. Like, and, and, and Syracuse just keeps on cruising along. If we, uh, our worst teams are bubble teams. So, uh, hopefully this is not one of those and we can have another miraculous uh, Final Four run. Um, I'm not super optimistic. but I'll take a miraculous second-round loss. I'd be fine with that, too. I, I think making the tournament would be a huge accomplishment for what this team is. And, you know, while this loss really hurts, I, I think uh, I still think if they win two of the next three, if they win BC, and, I mean, it doesn't really matter which two, honestly. If they were to win Duke and Clemson, I think that would erase a loss, a loss at BC pretty well. But... Um, Assuming that you can get a win at BC, which is not the easiest thing. I know we did blow them out earlier, but they are pretty salty this year. Um, and then win either that Clemson or that Duke game, I still think there's a, a pretty decent shot, especially if then you can pick up your, uh, you know, the get the monkey off the back and actually win one in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think if you win the Duke game, it doesn't matter which of the other two games you win, just because it's, it's another road win, it's another big road win, Um I think this team, this year's team, as much as we talked about the road struggles earlier in the year, I think they've actually done a really, really nice job um, away from home, actually much better than they have at the Dome, uh, if, if, you're, if you're really looking into it um, and seeing how they've kind of played down to opponents or really let opponents that have no business being in it back into it while really testing teams on the road. I mean, you know, hopefully Duke is added to that list, but you look at Louisville, you look at Miami, there's a nice collection of, of road wins here. Um, and, and that, you know, unlike last year, um, is not really a hole in the resume. I think, again, if you beat Duke, it doesn't matter what's the other two games you win. I think you're in, barring a lot of insanity on the bubble, um, you know, around championship weekend. Um, if you go one and two, and that lone win is 
and lone win is Duke or Clemson. I think you've got to do something in the ACC tournament. One or two wins, probably potentially one, unless it's Pitt. Um, and then, you know, if your one win is BC, I think you've got to win two games in the ACC tournament to feel, like, good-ish. Yeah, I think right now, I think that, that that's kind of a good breakdown. If you If you get either Duke or Clemson, and especially Duke, and you get to win number 20, whether it's BC or the ACC tournament, I think you're probably in. I would, even if we just beat Clemson and BC and lost, I think that 20 and 11 Syracuse team with a couple of, uh, you know, nice road wins and uh, a nice late top 15 win would be pretty, pretty, uh, pretty formidable. I think if you beat Duke on the road, I think as long as you get one more, you're, you're in good shape. Um, and if, if it's just BC, if you, you only win that game and lose the other two, I, I agree. I think you have to get two in the ACC tournament, maybe more depending on what the matchups are. Right. Um, like we said, like it, it would it would be advantageous. Um, we said a couple of weeks ago, it would be advantageous to kind of fall into that 10 spot. Um, but at the same time, you don't want to like sacrifice a chance to get one of those two ranked wins. So it's, I don't, I don't know if there's a great situation for us to like have our cake and eat it too and, and get the chance to, to pick up a quote-unquote easy ACC tournament win by playing on Tuesday, but also nab one of these big victories in the late season here. Well, yeah, and I mean, the the reason you don't want to just necessarily eye that 10 seed right now either is because you're still in play for, like, the 4 seed. <laughs> which yeah, is, which is ridiculous. Which because is there's, ridiculous. Two games, there's two games separating Clemson and Syracuse. Right. And Clemson is number 15 in the country and sitting in uh, the 4 seed, like like you just said, and Syracuse is completely out of the rankings and fighting for a tournament uh, bid completely and is just seven back. So, yeah, uh, a lot can happen. I mean, if Syracuse was to, like, sweep these three games somehow, like, they could honestly end up, they they could get a double bye. Like, that would probably be, they'd probably be favored to get a double bye. Yeah, I mean, NC State's slate is easier, but if we were able to go 10-8, and eight, I feel like... We'd at worst be a five, which is great. If we if we got swept here, a I don't I think it would take getting to the ACC tournament final to get an at large bid. Um, That's also, probably right. I also think we'd fall into the like we'd definitely be on Tuesday and we'd fall into like one of those really like god awful. What is it like a twelve thirteen? I think it's the twelve thirteen game. It's not a not what you want at all. No, we'll we'll play Notre Dame and they'll get one of their like key guys back and well it'll be just like the worst yeah like bonzi will come back and yeah bonzi it'll be bonzi's first game back and we'll go for 30 and 10 yeah let's let's not have that happen um before we sign off here did want to talk a little bit about duke um speaking of injuries they don't know if they have marvin begley i am gonna say they don't um, it seems like they're just not gonna bring him back until they Get to. I, I, I honestly don't know if we're going to see him before the tournament. Like it's. I mean, they really don't. Yeah. They don't. It's not like they. It's not like they don't need him. But like you saw what they did to Louisville last night. Like they really didn't need him. Need him in that game <laughs> to just to just take out the demolition derby like helmets on. on yeah, I, I'm. I'm definitely not going to say that Duke is better without Badley. I think it's right. very reductive and it's based on a four game sample size, and that's just not the right way to make a determination. Um, Grayson Allen's playing out of his mind right. in the last four games without Bagley, so 
I think there is a decent chance that however the offense has been restructured without him there, that it has really benefited, benefited Allen. And you can make the argument that like maybe Allen's role wasn't, you know, what it should be while Badalu uh, was playing. Well, the offense but is overall, being siphoned through the guards now, where yes. I felt like before it was very much a Carter and Bagley show. And like Allen had to kind of play, you know, like floor general, but not necessarily like he, he's not a, he's not a great distributor. So he had to do a little bit more of that. And Duke was going to play big. Now, like, like you said, they're not, they're not better. It's reductive. They're a different type of fine to put it, to put it that way. Yeah. I think, it's interesting because Carter and Trent's numbers are both about the same as what they were when Badley was playing or during for the full season. Allen's are way up. Obviously, Badley's are gone if he's not playing. Right. Um, and then as a team, uh, they were winning games by about 16 points. The, the last four, they've won by about 17 points a game. Um, and those were all ACC opponents, obviously. Um, but that's against Georgia Tech, Vatek, Clemson, and Louisville. Um, so one bad-ish ACC team two middling ACC teams and one pretty good one on the road. Um, so all, you know, not a, a decent a decent run there. Um, I think the Badley thing is just interesting to me because he got hurt against UNC and he played 39 minutes in that game. It was an uh, overtime game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so he played, like, it, it just seems like a thing that uh, might must be lingering. It's a, a knee issue, I believe. Yeah. And um, it's just weird that he hasn't come back. Uh, but based on how they've handled it, like, I really... I think he will come back. I just I don't think it'll be until the uh, NCAA tournament, to be honest. Or maybe maybe they play in the ACC just to like make sure the NCAA is in his first game back. Although if you're Duke, you know why not just did him did him some run into 15 seed and and you know left that be it. But either way, I, I would be very surprised if he played Saturday. Yeah, I mean I think you're right. I don't really see like unless they like tank the end of this regular season, I don't see them forcing him back. Um, obviously, like he has no motivation to necessarily come back if he's hurt, and it's something that could potentially hurt him long term, because like everybody knows what type of NBA prospect he is. Playing, you know, a few games here and there is not going to change anything. Um, if you like, you are if you're an NBA scout, you're just grading these guys in perspect on you know what they could potentially do. Um, like we said, I think this team is this team is fine. They're just a different type of fine. Um, I do think that. You know, having Allen be kind of the primary scorer is probably what they were more geared to do. Um, again, but they're 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 plenty of, of fine with with or without Begley. Um, Dan, do you think we stand a chance here? I know Duke has actually again played pretty well without Begley. I think we'd stand zero chance with him in the game, if only because it'd be an easy way to get um, our bigs fouled out very quickly. I think without him. Um, it's going to rely heavily on Syracuse being able to hit shots. Now, that's not too difficult against Duke, but recently they've been playing almost exclusively 2-3 zone, and it's actually worked out pretty well for them. Yeah, if only someone didn't teach uh, Coach Chad on that. <laughs> yeah, Jim, not the best idea. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say, I mean, we definitely have a chance. We've beaten Duke. I mean, we beat Duke last year with a and team the year that... Before. And the year before with two pretty middling teams... Um, we've beaten the Matt Cameron. Uh, so yeah, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, I wish we had Tyler Roberson, but, um, <laughs> the, the Duke killer, but, uh, I, I'm not going to expect it. I think 
especially with Duke playing that zone, because it is always the strange kryptonite for Syracuse when a team plays a decent zone against us. Um, unless Howard and Battle just hit like a ton of open shots, uh, or Brissette, I guess. Um, I just I think Duke, they're, they're talents a lot. Um, I do feel better about them without Badley. I know we've said that they like have been playing about as well without him as they were with him, but I think his size and his ability in the interior would have been a major issue for us, especially with our lack of depth. But either way, I mean, I'm I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to be picking any upsets. I think Duke will probably handle us pretty pretty easily. Um, but uh, you know, this wouldn't be the craziest upset that's ever happened by any means. Yeah, I mean, I, I this program knows how to win at Cameron, but that doesn't really mean much for the current players. Um, since none of them but Frank Howard were even on that team. Uh, I'd be surprised if Frank even played in that game. Yeah, I, 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 I almost positive Frank did not play in that game. I'm going to look while you talk. Yeah. But I, I think that I think that we can hang with him for maybe a half. I think foul trouble is going to become an issue in this one. Um, I think Allen's going to be able to hit from outside. I mean, I've looked at some of the—I don't know how much you got to look at it. Um, ben Swain over at Channel 8. Uh, down North Carolina, he had that great kind of breakdown of just how like aggressive um, this Duke zone has been able to be. It does look a little bit more aggressive than ours in many ways. Um, I know he was joking that it was actually like a cool zone, and I uh, I, I did mention that you know Jim Beheim is cool uh, <laughs> to to some people, um, <laughs> just maybe not Duke fans. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a little it's it's similarly active, but it's much more aggressive. Um, it's been able to limit opponents of late. Um, we're not a great shooting team, so I feel like it could potentially have some limitations for us. But so the, 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 the big factor here is going to be whether or not, you know, Battle and at least one of Howard and uh, Brissett can kind of go off. I mean, we're looking at 25 points apiece go off um, if we stand any chance to hang with um, a very good offensive team in Duke. Um, you know, even North Carolina, a team that we did limit offensively um, in the second half, uh, still allowed 78 points too. So I, I think if we if we make that a conservative goal for for us against Duke, I, I I'd say that's step one to potentially pulling an upset is holding them under 80. Yeah, I buy that. Um, I actually I found the box score. Howard did play. He yeah. was, uh, he played seven minutes. He had one rebound and one assist and a turnover and no points. Uh, two for two from the floor. This is one of the weirdest Syracuse box scores I can remember. Um, that was the dumbest game. It was it was an amazingly dumb game. Um, so my first point, which is the the least of these, um, is that uh, which Plumley, Marshall Marshall Plumley was the lead uh, led all scorers with nineteen points, uh, and he had seventeen rebounds, which is probably the best game Marshall Plumley ever had. I would I would guess. Yeah, eleven offensive boards. Syracuse gave up eighteen offensive boards. Yep. and got twenty six. <laughs> that that's just that's absurd. Um, so here's for Syracuse. We had two guys with no points, Howard and uh, and Daywan Coleman. We had Tyler Lydon with eight points off the bench, including two of three threes, and I believe one of those was a huge shot and nine rebounds. Then the rest of our scorers all scored fourteen points. Binage, Mike Benige had fourteen and nine assists. Um, Malachi Richardson had fourteen and six rebounds. Uh, Trevor Cooney had uh, fourteen and not much else including four threes. The team as a whole was 11 for 23 from three, which kind of tells the story of this game. Duke was only 10 for 37. Um, and then Tyler Roberson, the Duke killer, had 14 points and 20 rebounds. Yeah. 12 of which were offensive. 
That game was so stupid. Like, remember, I remember the end, too. Like, just an absolute, like, disaster. Duke got so pissed off about the end of that game, too, uh, which was Oh, I do remember that. This, uh, this definitely inspires me. I'm probably going to write an article for uh, Friday about, like, the, the dumbest things about Duke-Syracuse uh, ACC games. Because there's a lot of them. Like, there's a lot of really dumb things that have happened over the course of the last five years. I really wish that, I mean, for a lot of reasons, I really wish Syracuse had been better the last couple of years. But if Syracuse hadn't been the last couple of years, like, the Syracuse-Duke rivalry would, obviously it's not UNC, but the Syracuse-Duke rivalry would really be a thing because those first two seasons when both teams were good were so, so contentious. Yeah. And now Syracuse has, like, really picked off Duke a couple of times when they absolutely shouldn't have, uh, including some, like, weird finishes like this one. Um, so yeah, it would really be more of a thing, um, than it even already is. Uh, but I think it would be like one of those things that like even the Carolina people would be hard to like ignore, but now like Syracuse gets them every so often, but like Syracuse has been so mediocre for three seasons, the final four run aside that it's it's hard to like really, uh, get the, the storylines going. But if Syracuse had been like their normal selves last three years, like this would be a real thing. Right, yeah, because now we're kind of, like, hanging around. Now we're in, like, pesky territory, so, like, we're on par with, like, NC State or, like, Maryland when, like, other than those couple years when they were, like, national title contenders. Yeah, that's not where we're supposed to be. No. Yeah, as, yeah. as everyone listening to this knows. Yeah, we, uh, yeah we, 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 we can't be pesky. We need, to, we need to move past pesky and back up to, like, you know, perennial uh, annoyance. Yes. I think we'll get there, but... You know, hopefully Next it starts year. with getting back to the tournament this year, and then hopefully we don't lose anyone aside from Tyus Battle of the NBA. We'll see. And uh, then next year should be uh, a lot of fun. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, final score prediction before we go. Um, I'm going to go Duke 84, Syracuse 72. All right. I'm going to go uh, Duke 80... Syracuse 73. Okay. All right. Um, so that sounded super optimistic, of course. Um, I would love to be proven wrong. I know you would too, Dan. Yeah, please, please do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we'll actually get to see this team too, because it'll be on ESPN. And, and the last one as well. Um, all right. So that was Dan. I'm John. Corey was here too. Uh, Please be sure to listen to all of it um, if you have the, the hour or so to spare. Um, but this has been Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, and uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.